following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Thank you for calling the ACB Radio and Information Line brought to you by Xeno Media. 518-906-1820. That's 518-906-1820. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening to. Um, Welcome to Health Checkup. ACB, thank you so much, ACB Radio, for streaming us. Hello, streamers. We are coming to you today and speaking about dying with dignity and the planning of your celebration of life. Um, This is a topic, the team that I'm going to introduce to you today has been very close to our hearts. We've actually been talking about the subject for since last year. And um, we were just waiting for the right time, and I was in a community call, and a big discussion came up about fear of dying. And I'm like, you know what? This is a subject matter that I know four people that are very comfortable with, and we could do a call to help our members of our community um, deal with something that I know you're not going to like hearing this. No one likes hearing this. We will all die. What a better way to take control of a situation than to be in a healthy state and plan it. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we get started on exactly what we're going to do, let's see who the team is. First of all, the most important one that keeps everything under control. Hey, Dan, how are you today? I'm doing okay. Thank you for being our host with the most and helping us with raised hands. We are glad you're here. Darrow, how are you today? Oh, I am very well. Spring is finally springing in Connecticut, so things are good. Good. Now, remind everyone who's here, because we might have some new members, what you bring to the table. I bring 15 years of experience as a 911 dispatcher, dispatching police, EMS, that's emergency medical service, and fire. So that's what I did for 15 years of my life. Well, thank you, Darrow. We love having you with us. Jay, how are you? How is oh, Arizona? Doing, oh, it's excellent. Nice, sunny. And we have, ni- it's supposed to get up to 96 today. So it's great. And what I bring to the table is 19 years of working at the hospital, either as a te- uh, nurse tech or as an orderly. And outside of the hospital, I was a firefighter, paramedic, diver, engineer. And also what I also bring to the table is this is one year anniversary of Patrick's passing away. He was my uh, son. And he was actually, since the age of two, he was a DNR. And we'll explain that more about that. And he lived until he was 23 and three quarters. Thank you, Jay. I'm so honored to have you here always as part of the team and share that precious memory of Patrick with us. Um, As everyone, my name is Terry Flores. I'm a critical care respiratory therapist for... hmm, 
we'll just say over 25 years. Um, I recently lost my sight three and a half years ago when both of my retinas detached while I was at work. And I bring to the table, I've never been scared of talking about dying with dignity. I think it's because I've been involved in the medical field since I was 16 years old as a candy striper. And um, it's something that I was immersed in as being a healthcare provider. So I'm really excited we're going to take this next hour and talk about something and hopefully bring comfort and relieve some fear. Susan Blake, Reverend Susan Blake, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day today to be with us and bring your experience with dealing with death and dying in the hospital. Why don't you share that with us? Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I have have over 20 years as a registered dietitian in all kinds of health situations, hospitals, nursing homes, and then eight and a half years as a chaplain in a long-term care facility. And I'm also an ordained Episcopal priest. So I've been with a lot of folks at the end of life and uh, hope I can bring some words of of comfort and assurance to people at that time. I like that, that word assurance, because that's a good word. That's a good word. Okay, so um, everyone, let's take a deep breath and exhale. All right, so for some people, talking about something that we are all going to experience, we just don't know when, is death. But you know what? We all plan for our birth. We plan for a birthday party. We plan for weddings. We plan for get-togethers. We plan for national conventions. We're going to talk about how to plan for something that we know is going to happen, and that's your death. And one of the things that you can do by planning your death is also helping with the grievance process of your friends and family, because there's nothing like doing something that, that you want. For example, my family, my plan is I'm donating my body to either UCF or University of Florida Medical School and let them do what they need to do to learn from me because I'm an educator and a healthcare provider. And then when they're done, they cremate my body and send it to my family. And they know because I love the beach and I love the ocean, I want them to pick one of the beaches in Florida, and lay me to rest. So they all know this. They've known this since I was 21. My mom's still fighting it. <laughs> but on the other hand, we're going to go around and we're going to talk about it. And then I'm going to put my bedside hat on, on what I've had to deal with, uh, death and dying. And sometimes working as part of the labor and delivery team, you have life celebration and death celebration sometimes in the same hour. And we just don't know when it's going to happen, but we just need to call it the celebration of life because no matter how long you get to live, you did have a life. So Darrow, um, let's talk to you first since you're a 911 operator. Let's talk about what you can add about. Well, the first thing I can add is the fact that it is very important to make your own decision Forget about all paperwork for a moment. You have to decide yourself. What are your wishes? Do you wish to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to 
Terry's going to do, donate your body to science. The other thing is once you've made up your mind about that, then you need to get into the do not resuscitate or what type of medical care you want to potentially save your life. There are a lot of different documents in there, and I'm going to start our discussion today with advice I received from a lawyer. And, it, you know, everybody says, oh, legal advice from a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. But it really is good advice. Is you can't do this stuff on your own. You need an attorney, whether it's a DNR or making somebody your health care agent, meaning they'll make the decisions for you if you're unable to. It's all very complicated legal stuff, and it has to be done exactly right. Or a hospital or doctor won't won't comply with it because they they're too uncomfortable, and obviously there's no turning back. So those are the, that's what I like to start our discussion on. Is you really need to think about those things and formulate your opinion. And it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Maybe maybe you want to be resuscitated, and that's a personal decision. That you know, of course, age may be a factor in that. Whatever the case may be, but before you ever think about creating any documents for when you do pass away, and Terry's right, unfortunately, we're all going to pass away at some point, is think about it very carefully yourself. Talk about it with your spouse and loved ones and go from there. So that's how I'd like to start our uh, discussion today, Terry. Well, I really like how you went ahead and brought up uh, do not resuscitate. When someone hears DNR, that's what that means. That document is called a DNR, a do not resuscitate. So, Jay, I know um, you've had a lot of experience with this, and we'll just go around the table. Jay, let's talk about the DNR. The DNR, and it has to be a documentation. They will also give you a armband that has a black line underneath your name. We, as a paramedic in the state of Wisconsin, the state of Illinois, you're going to have to check with your own state to make sure what they require. We require the documentation of that DNR the signatures to make sure what your needs are want what you want us to do for you. Whether it means to be a full code to do everything just, or maybe not do chest compressions and you want to be intubated. What exactly, what certain drugs that you may want, may, may not want. So what Jay Yeah, what Jay is talking about is each state and each country, so I don't know where everyone's listening from, it is important to have the discussion with your healthcare provider. What exactly does it mean about DNR? So do not resuscitate. So Jay, I think we need to go into what the resuscitation process is. So when when your heart stops, there are several things we have to do to get started. Right, Jay? Yes. One is going to be, is you're going to be, you're shaking and shouting, just like you're doing the CPR. Make sure that, that person is not just not sleeping or heavily sleeping. Then the next step is that you're going to start the uh, compressions. Now that's when we place two hands on their chest and you press down two, two to two and a half inches down. You may hear cracking of ribs. You may hear cracking of bones, but we can take care of all of that. We just need to get blood circulating to the brain. When we do chest compressions, we are not really focusing on circulating the big toes. Basically, what we're doing is providing enough blood pressure to keep the brain alive, because your brain can only live less than four minutes without any blood circulation. 
And that's not including oxygen. That's just blood circulating through the body because the brain just doesn't do well without oxygen. And that's how oxygen gets around the body and nutrients is by blood flow. What's the next thing, Jay? If it's the paramedics that are out there, we're going to be also, um, we're going to intubate that person. We're going to get an airway, getting the airflow. We'll probably start with an ambu bag, what's called. It's like a big mask with a uh, reservoir to push air into that person. That'll be done first because we have to get it all set up to do intubation in what we need to do. And so another- typical paramedic, just a typical paramedic that says they get to intubate. Well, us respiratory therapists also intubate. <laughs> so, so Jay, um, sorry, that's a little paramedic RT joke there. Um, oh, no problem. Yeah. So um, what Jay is talking about intubation is where we put a breathing tube and it's about, I would say, what, six times the size of a straw? Trying to give some people an idea of what the size of it. Oh, your thumb. It's like as big as your thumb. Um, The tube that we would put through your mouth, through your vocal cords and into your lungs. So we can do what we need to do is ventilate and oxygenate. So we breathe for you. And at the same time, we're going to be starting an IV to push some fluids and also pushing some, depending on what kind of drugs we need for what we see on the heart monitor. Right. So we can pull epinephrine, atropine, sodium bicarbonate, so many different drugs, calcium, potassium, whatever we need to do to get your heart beating again. Right. And put monitors and leaves all over you because once we get the heart beating again and we get any electrical activity, that tells the team what medications and an indication of why your heart stops. Everybody on the planet Earth, no matter what your death certificate says, everyone dies of cardiac arrest. For you to die, your heart stops, just to let everybody know. The thing of it is, is are you brain dead before your heart stops? And we'll talk about that because that's where organ donation um, comes in. But just to talk about the resuscitation process, the DNR does not mean do not treat. It's not a DNT. So if you have a DNR, if you're dealing with a terminal illness and you've had two doctors sign your form that's in your state, your county, you know, they'll, they'll guide you through it when you talk to your healthcare provider, you can have a DNR. That does not mean do not treat. For example, if you're dying and fighting because you have breast cancer or colon cancer, and you fall off the ladder and break your leg and someone calls 911, that does not mean they're not going to treat your broken leg. (laughs) That's for sure. Okay. All right. So we want to make sure everyone understands that. So DNR does not mean do not treat. Okay. Or if you have even pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have a cold, if you have Corona, but the most important thing is, is when you go to surgery, you have to understand that if you have to go to surgery, they will um, have to have a talk with you about reversing your DNR. And that just has to do with um, and make sure that you're clear that you're having surgery done because the DNR will follow you into the OR. And, you know, no matter what kind of surgery you have, there's always a complication, just like with you take your, you know, anything can happen. So um, what is the difference between a DNR and a DNI, Jay? Well, a DNI, 
means you, we do not intubate. So we don't put the plastic tube down your throat, okay? But there's different machines that we have now to help ventilate and oxygenate. I think it, this would be a good time to see if we have any hands to raise. Do we and have any we hands? Have, we have Allison. Allison, please unmute yourself and... What do you want to ask or share with the team? Well, I don't want to ask as much. I've been through a lot of this with my, my late husband. He died a little over a year ago. And um, I one thing I wanted to point out, that if you are in a system that is a Catholic system, um, there are some things they won't do, even if that's what you want. Um our major system here in Tulsa is called uh, St. Francis. And I, I'm not sure which things they won't do, but, um, and I don't know how strictly they enforce it, but I know that um, they won't purposely do things that will end your life. I mean, they, they don't, I don't know whether they do uh, DNR, but um I know they do. Go ahead. Um, I want to say, um, first of all, condolences for your husband. And I hope your grief process. And thank you for sharing with us. And we ask for comfort, care, and peace for you. Well, uh, thank what, you. What you're talking about, if I understand correctly, is assisted suicide. And we will talk about that. Um, yes, there are many laws but that um, do not allow medical assisted suicides. Um, well, I don't think it was assisted suicide, but anyway. We're going to talk about palliative care and hospice care in a few minutes. And I'm, I'm pretty discouraged. It, I've, I've personally never heard, doesn't mean it hasn't happened, of being denied dignity at the end of life. Maybe Susan will be able to share with that and maybe explain that a little bit. Um, when do you want to add anything, Susan? Always in a hospital or hospice house setting, or even at home, they stress death with dignity. So the wishes of the patient that have already been pre-planned uh, as far as spiritual care, medical care, comfort care, everything is down on paper. Everybody follows that protocol and the needs of the patient are the center and those needs are always honored to the best that they can from what I have seen. And I know that that is the goal of hospice care pretty much universally. Uh, in my husband's case, um, I had to make the decision and at, at the end, I, I knew he wouldn't want to live the way things were and the hospital transferred her to the hospice floor in the hospital and and they were really good they kept him comfortable but they didn't do anything else yeah and we'll talk about the difference between palliative care hospice care and medical mm -hmm. suicide care i totally understand that experience i've been on both sides um, with my family um when my with my grandmother we've all experienced death and um, being as a healthcare provider. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the call. And we're very Thanks. appreciative that you're here and sharing, sharing your experience with us. 
So we've talked about DNR. We've talked about DNI. And Alice, was that Alice or Allison? Allison. Allison. And Allison brought to the forefront about what happens in a hospital. So I will pick that ball up and just say, that's why it's so important to talk to your partners in life, your family members in life, your best friends in life, and just say, we need to write this down. I need to know exactly what you need and want done because when the time comes, I want to make sure your decision and what you want is what we do. And that's very important when you go to your next primary care physician visit that you have this conversation with your primary doctor. And like Daryl mentioned earlier, a medical surrogate is a person that will be the one person that will be the speaker of the group. And because what can happen with a DNR and a DNI is say you have a brother and you have a sister and they come to the room and they can actually yell, do everything. And the team, if there's not a dedicated medical surrogate, the one that makes all the medical, final medical decisions is not present and not acknowledged, they have to proceed with the resuscitation. So it's so important that even if you have family, what do you say, the traditional family feud? (laughs) Um, Once it's written down on paper, once the paper is signed of who your medical surrogate is, that trumps all that family feud stuff. And it's that's a whole nother show, right, guys? We should mention that. When in doubt, they're gonna they're gonna resuscitate because there's no no looking back. If there's any confusion at the time, they're they're gonna take the conservative approach. Exactly, and especially from a nine one one dispatcher, especially from a paramedic, if you don't have your paperwork in the most prevalent area of the house, you know that can happen. By the way, you gotta have that paperwork because at least here in Connecticut, and this is very much state laws. The fact that you've called 911 is saying you want emergency assistance. So at least here in Connecticut, if if you call 911, you're pretty much going to get emergency medical care at the scene and the DNR and, and DNI and all those those issues will be resolved later. But the fact you've called 911 says you want help. The difference yeah. with what kind of help that is, oh, go ahead, Jay. And also you want to make sure you're – information is known to everyone because if you're like an award of the state they're going to do everything because there's no no elected official right now will honor a dnr so you want to make sure your stuff is known well in advance and just to let you guys know there is a difference between a medical surrogate and a power of attorney a poa So a POA is someone who can get into your bank accounts, help you with your financial obligations, um, do all that. Once you die, that power of attorney goes away. It dissolves. But the power of attorney is not the same paperwork to be a medical surrogate. Can it be the same person? Yes. But you've got to make sure that both paperworks are completed. So Medical surrogate is the one that makes your medical decisions. Power of attorney is the one that acts. They show this paper to uh, banking, mortgage companies um, to uh, deal with your car, selling of your car to help with your estate, anything like that. Another thought is you got to keep these up to date. If you're, 
your health here in Connecticut they call it healthcare agent. If your healthcare agent passes away, maybe your relationship changes with that person, you got to keep it up to date because if they can't reach your healthcare agent to make a decision, they can't comply with your wishes uh, or anyone's wishes. They're just going to have to take a conservative approach. And my attorney told me that happens so often that they'll pull out the healthcare agent and they can't either reach the person or the person passed away. And then it's as if it didn't exist. Well, Darrow, that doesn't even have to do with our, our human loved ones. It has to do with our four legged ones, our partners in life. I mean, look at what just happened with you and, um, and, you, and Ramona, you realize that the information at the vet was still connected with an, another family member versus, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to update it. Change it. That's so, right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so your microchips out there and all that stuff, make sure you keep everything updated. Some of you might be scratching your head and going, okay, DNR, DNI, power of attorney, uh, uh, medical surrogate. Uh, we haven't talked about living wills. So that is something where once you have crossed the bridge, the rainbow, the river, earned your wings, that's when everyone else has to deal with dealing with everything up. And we're not going to talk about that today too much because we really want to focus on the dying with dignity part, the part that you have control over. But it's very important to keep your living will up to date and make sure the information is correct. And like Darrow said earlier, it is best to hire an attorney to make sure all the paperwork is correct and know who has it um, type thing. Okay, so in the hospital, um, there are some situations that I've been in where we literally birthed a baby and maybe an hour or two later they have passed on. Um, That is a very traumatic experience, um, but we do have bereavement boxes that have the ways to do the fingerprints and the handprints. And we have women that and community groups. And I know we have some crafty crafters on this call and might be listening where they actually take wedding dresses and make baby outfits so that when we have an infant that has um, passed away, Um, we actually give them to mom and dad dressed in a beautiful outfit um, made out of wedding dresses. And we present the babies to the parents as celebrate their life. It was short, but, you know, here's a gift from someone who had a celebration of marriage that wanted to share your child's life with that memory. Oh, good gosh. I haven't talked about that in a while. I just cried. Um, but it's a beautiful way to make a difference. Um, you can get to your local hospitals, wherever there's a labor and delivery facility and donate and offer to make baby clothes because unfortunately, you know, they're, that celebration of life is, is very short for some. We made it the, uh, of all of Patrick's, uh, t-shirts, we made a quilt. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. We, um, Yeah, we take quilts, too, to wrap the babies up and the children, you know, because they get in car accidents. And we always try to get the child or um, the family member into the family's arms as soon as death occurs uh, to be able to allow them to hold them. I have been at so many bedsides where we have to, as a team, discuss how organ donation that your family member has passed. And 
you can have the choice of giving life to up to seven people and even sometimes more, but a minimum of seven people can be helped if you're an organ donor. And I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, that might be a good call. We can have some different organ donation facilities on the show to answer questions about that. But I want you to know, I have been a part of organ donation, transplant, coordination for over 25 years. I have never, and it's against the law in the United States, to assist the process of death for an organ transplant. We make sure 100% that everything is good and we do everything we can to help protect and help resuscitate as many organs as we can. But we go through several different brain death procedures. And we'll, if you guys want to let us know, we'll do a talk about that. Because I know some people are fearful that if they become organ donors, that means uh, they won't get resuscitated if they're in a car accident, you know. But that's not true. So on that note, Susan, I just want to share the last thing I do is um, I was one of those respiratory therapists that would stand there if no family was there and hold someone's hands as they took their last breath and um, always made sure no one died alone on my shift. Susan, when I can't be there because there's too many traumas and too much going on, we call you. (laughs) (laughs) Can you be there for me? (laughs) I will be there for you. The longer I was a chaplain, I truly believed and saw in reality that no one should die alone. Everyone needs someone to be there, whether holding hands, crying, singing, just being present uh, is a tremendous comfort. And you can ask for that if you're physically able to plan ahead Or even at the last minute, I want to see a chaplain. I want someone to be with me. Um, Sometimes it's volunteers. Sometimes it can be staff, friends. But you can make that request. And I think that helps the passing. So when you aren't alone, it takes away a lot of the fear. Playing uh, comforting music is very important. Prayers personal players, even guided imagery. And I think the key to it is making your wishes known and they will be honored. And this is for any age. For for usually, you know, with children, there's always family around. But especially for the elderly whose loved ones, family, everyone is gone and they're alone and they're afraid. I think it's really important. Bring in their clergy. And if that isn't possible, a chaplain can be there. And a chaplain can help with all your thoughts and and ask for a chaplain while you're in your right mind, if at all possible, and help guide them through a process of thinking and filling in the blanks. Making your wishes known is very, very important. And sometimes the emotion, the pain, the discomfort, whatever confusion that can uh, sometimes block a lot of your thinking. So it's really 
nice that someone can step in like a chaplain and help you go through the process of planning what you want in this life and then going on to to funeral wishes so that there aren't feuds, but more importantly, that your wishes are honored. Thank you, Susan, so much for sharing that. We're going to wrap up this half of the show and then move on to after the passing and moving on to grievance. Um, But before we move on, I want everybody to know that um, I've had some very unique things brought to the bedside. Um, I also was a pediatric congenital heart um, transplant team member. I was on the ECMO team. Um, Basically, it's where we run the machines for your heart and lungs. And um, family members would bring in very unique things like um, from their religion. Um, I did have a pair of, uh, I did have a rabbit foot that someone actually brought in a rabbit foot that they put in a Ziploc bag and we kept that rabbit foot pinned to, uh, their five-year-old, uh, pillow. I've had, uh, you know, prayer cloth. Um, we've had, um, many different ointments, uh, many different things. So if there's anything in your personal religion or anything that's personal to that person, bring it to their bedside. Just make sure to communicate rosaries. That was a big one. But we always have to make sure we either tape it to the isolate or tape it to um, something so that if we need to work with the patient or um, like Jay can tell you, we have to change the linen um, that it doesn't get um, whisked away. So don't put anything in the bed and not communicate with the healthcare team um, because we'll, we need to make sure that we have it uh, so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. And uh, that's all I'm going to say uh, for that. I think I heard a hand raise. Um, soon we're going we're gonna to be, after we get done with this part, we're going to jump into the bereavement and the grievance and some tools to help you get ready for that. Is there a raised yes. hand, Dan? Yes, we have Maria's hand. Oh, Maria, hi. I think that's Shanti. I, I accidentally got my sister's name on there. But, oh, um, that's okay. I just want to thank you for this call. This is such an important call. I'm at that point where I'm really wanting to uh, connect with an attorney and get all that set up. And I think the most difficult thing is going to be talking to my family because they're Catholic and I'm not, and we're not going to agree on some stuff. So I'm not looking forward to that part. Oh, well, thank you for sharing. My recommendation is is to tell them that you love them and that you will hopefully respect you to do what you want to do as a celebration of your life. I hope, I hope that's how it works out. And, and, And you can just say, I'm not telling you I'm going to do this for you. I want to hear what you want done as well. And in the Catholic religion, they have books out there to plan your um, to plan your uh, celebration of life. Like my neighbor is uh, finishing up his and he's even putting down uh, the catering, exactly what to order, what drinks he wants served, what music he wants played. I mean, he is in total control of it. And that makes him feel good. And he's gone as far as he went ahead and paid paid for everything and has envelopes of you know, what's to be done. And um, he's 84, but he's a very vibrant golf everyday kind of person, but it allows him the opportunity to be in control. And it is a tough decision with your family, but all I would recommend is to say, well, I want to hear what you want 
done and I'm going to respect you just like I want you to respect me. I hope that helps. Sort of. <laughs> I just it get is really a hard scared. conversation to talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is. Father was dying. He didn't, his, he had an, a temporary advance directive and um, unfortunately it expired. So we went through a really horrible experience watching him die. And oh, I'm because my mom had letting go and I don't ever want to go through that again and I, I'm hoping that they'll remember that and respect my wishes to to pass peacefully and uh, I just want to sh- you know. share with you that my medical surrogate is not my mother and I'm not married my medical surrogate is a friend of mine that's in the medical field so you do not have to have a family member be your medical surrogate if you're that concerned and you don't want to add stress or fracture any you know, maybe fractured relationships that you're building on. Your medical surrogate can be anybody. So yes, that's how you. I dealt with my mom. Yeah. <laughs> now my yeah. My mom may hang on to me ever for, for life or she might just be like, Oh no, I'm done with her now. I <laughs> I love my mom. <laughs> but um Well my mom's crossed over so I don't have to worry about that, but my siblings uh, are a little bit okay. that way. So yeah. I have to talk to them. If they're not yeah. comfortable I definitely We'll do that yeah and um thank you for sharing and we're here for you if anything has come up for anybody during the show and you didn't um was concerned about sharing please 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 send us an email at healthcheckupacb at gmail.com so thank you very very much for sharing that all right darrow 911 calls the people that have already passed away and That is very uh, tricky because generally speaking, what will happen is, and again, I'll talk from Connecticut where I live. I'll talk about what happens in Connecticut. If you call 911, no matter how uh, long the person's been dead, unless it's obvious, you're still going to get the fire department and the police actually here in Connecticut if it's considered to be, quote, unquote, an untimely death. And again, once you call 911, it's uh, untimely. And a lot of here in Connecticut, at least, medical professionals have to also call and get a paramedic to come to pronounce the person dead. That's the least way it is in Connecticut. I know in other states it's different, and I'm told that that law is going to change here in Connecticut. But anyway, when your loved one does pass, it don't don't fear the police or fire or ambulance because they're there just to do their duty as required by law. And just because they show up, that doesn't mean that your loved one's DNR or anything like that is going to be violated at all. So a lot of people panic when they say, I don't want an ambulance. There's a DNR. Well, that's, that's fine. But a lot of times uh, I hate to get graphic, but you know, really, unless it's something like a decapitation, they still have to come and pronounce the patient because there's always that very, very slim chance. Um, And then of course, don't be afraid to talk about your loved ones when they pass away. And I think that's where Terry was heading with this is that grieve, grieve the process. We, we've talked about it before on this show, the process of grieving and all the different stages and things like that. But don't be afraid. And, and I think Susan would probably uh, go along with this. Maybe she can add something to this. The most important thing after death is to to speak with people, talk about the loved ones. And I'm sure, Susan, you have some experience in that area also. And I always encourage people, talk about them, keep those memories alive. That almost keeps that person's 
uh, presence right with you. And it's really important that uh, by sharing those thoughts, those memories, good, bad, or otherwise, hopefully they're good, helps you to grieve, helps you to um, really focus on the person and get in touch with the emotions. So don't pretend that it didn't happen. You know, talk about them. A lot of people just, uh, okay, grandma's gone and we're not going to talk about her anymore. But it's important to talk about because she was a part of your life. This is a great time to talk to Jay as a paramedic, firefighter, working in the hospital as part of the medical team, he is going to be celebrating Patrick's life. As a paramedic uh, going on calls, I have been called out for a person that had just passed away and they are DNR. They handed me the paperwork. They said, I am sorry we called, but we just panicked and we called you. As long as we had the paperwork, we don't have to start things. You know, we call the hospital and let them know. And then they say, okay, you know, we just check the paperwork out. As for Patrick, he's been, you know, like I I said before, he was a DNR ever since he was two years of age because we didn't want to have somebody come up and see him and think that something else was wrong and accuse us of something that shouldn't have been. And so that's the reason why we made him a DNR because his brain was never formed correctly. His primary diagnosis was bilateral cerebral dysgenesis with prior microgeria. And so he had a lot of different medical problems. He had a great smile. DNR-wise, we had to do it every year for him in the state of Wisconsin because he was under the age of 18. So that means every year we had to do that. Anytime he went into the hospital, we had to renew that. Once he became 18 and older in the state of Wisconsin, it stayed permanent. Then after that, we still did it every year, though. So that way they knew what our wishes were. And because we got used to doing it that way every year to do that. When he did pass away, we did cremate him. And they have like an urn that's biodegradable. And we planted a tree in his honor. And last year, during the wintertime, it still had some of its leaves all the way through the, the wintertime, which was. Aww. Oh, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. You have to know what you want to do and mm-hmm. and have your wishes honored because it is an honor for your life. And, you know, especially uh, whether it be military or funeral, whether it be there's all different types of to be done. Pick out what you want to have done, what kind of music you want to have being played, uh, food, all kinds of different things. And talk to your family about it. I know that it was very hard for me to talk to the family. They always thought that. Oh, he'll be okay for a long time. Even her uh, father went into hospice because he had metropemionia. That was um, cancer of the lungs. They actually just took him off from being in hospice because he didn't need to. He didn't need to meet the criteria for it. He was doing too well. So just because you're in hospice doesn't mean they give up. That's right. Just because you're in hospice does not mean you don't get treated. I think we've done an awesome job on this conversation, but we didn't get to hospice care, palliative care, and the grievance process. So I think we're going to do a part two to this call. Let's see if we got any raised hands out there or comments about this call. What can we do to help you guys? And let's give five minutes and then we'll need to close up. 
Dan, how did you feel about the call? It was informative. Thank you. It was very difficult for us to prepare as every state um, is very different in their roles and regulations, but the ones that are going to be experts in your area is your primary care physician. Jay, what are you doing next Wednesday? You want to do part two next Wednesday? Yeah, we can do part two next Wednesday. Susan, what are you doing next Wednesday? I'm going to South Carolina. <laughs> oh, that's right. And Daryl won't be joining us because he's going to be going to Michigan. That's correct. So, uh, I, think I am, un- oh, I am ahead, unfortunately yeah. busy, too, next week. Next Let's Wednesday. make it another Wednesday. Yeah. Okay, we'll make it another Wednesday. So um, for everyone who's on, um, please pay attention to the community calendar. Um, the following week is going to be water safety, and we will be doing a dual call with What's Up With Kids Today? who the facilitator is Mo. So we'll have two shows talking about water safety. Our show will be on from two to three, and then her show's on from three to four, and the team will cross over to her Zoom account. And we're really excited about sharing the knowledge and information on water safety. And let's uh, just go around the table with everybody. Uh, Darrow, last minute words. I think the thing that, I hope people come away from this call is talk. Talk to your loved ones. Talk to your clergy. Talk to your attorney. Talk to your doctors. That's the best thing to do when you're thinking about death. And it, it is. It's a, we've, we've described a lot of different documents, a lot of different terms, a lot of medical terms have been bantered about here. And the thing is, ask for help. Don't, don't try to plan for anyone's death without help. There's plenty of resources available. It's it's not something to be ashamed of anymore. You know, in our grandparents' generation, it was, oh, no one talked about this. Oh, it was all hush-hush. But now it's it's an accepted way of doing. So that's what I hope people come away from this call with, is get information and talk. Thank you, Darrow. One of the things is, if you can, have your power of attorney different than your medical surrogate. If you can. If you can't, they can be both. Not in Connecticut, Jay, just so you know. Okay. That's good to know. Each state is different, so you got to find out your rules and your regulations. You do want to try to have it differently, but talk to your friends, talk to your loved ones about this, because granted, it is a very hard subject. And believe me, for 24 years of Patrick's life, or 23 and three, um, we had to deal with that, and we were dealing with it almost every day. Please talk to you know your loved ones about it. Well, thank you, Jay. Um, my final comments are a few. I know we talked about a lot of death and dying scenarios, but just know also that grievance is a very personal event. And take your time. You may never get over losing someone. When I was uh, 22, I had a miscarriage. I was only pregnant for four weeks and did not realize I was even pregnant before I had the miscarriage. And there are days where I just realize, and I think of my child that I lost. Um, I just take a deep breath and I take a moment. So if you need to grieve, grieve. If you need someone to reach out to to help you with your grief, we have shared many phone numbers and many resources, and we'll post them again. Talk to someone like Darrow and Jay said, please just talk. Second of all, For any of you out there that are going through a divorce, 
please, please, please. I know it's a very traumatic event that you're going through, but please make sure you have a medical surrogate and a power of attorney because when you're going through this process and if anything happens, you need to make sure that the right person has the right power to make your final decisions. So on that note, thanks everybody. Susan, last minute notes. Think again that word talk. Talk to God, talk to yourself, talk to everyone around you that you care to bring into your circle to make these decisions sooner than later. And funeral homes also and chaplains have wonderful packets that they can help you with um, in in all of that pre-planning and at least help your thought process. And don't be afraid to share. Thank you, Susan, so much. And we will definitely have Susan... Reverend Susan Blake back with us as we talk about palliative care, hospice care, what's the difference, what are what do we do? And also, you know, we'll talk about prearrangement, the difference between bereavement of burial insurance and burial costs, because that's that's an interesting little loophole to get caught in. And the cost of transportation if you happen to be out of the country to get back home and all that good stuff. Can we do one final check for any hands, comments, or anything you guys want to share with the team? Any hands, any comments? Well, on that note, I just want to say to everybody, thank you so much. And life is a precious gift. That's why today is called the present. Wake up every morning, take that deep breath, and just jump up and down and say, all right, I get a present. I don't have to wait for Christmas or my birthday. You get a present every day. I had a close encounter myself on Monday. (laughs) I um, accidentally started a fire in my bedroom. (laughs) I uh, accidentally had an electrical fire. I was able to put it out, but I did have to call 911 and nothing happened except it melted uh, my Himalaya salt crystal. That's my essential oil. And um, the good thing was, is I had um, remembered all my firefighters, you know, unplug things when they catch on fire and smother it with a wet towel. But that moment, it was very scary for me. And it made me realize that you just don't know when something's going to happen. 